Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Good evening, good evening, and welcome to a special edition of Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can check me out on Twitter, at Joy Keys, also on Facebook, Saturday Morning with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Also, now you can hear the show on Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, as well as here on Blog Talk Radio. I hope you are enjoying the shows and sharing with friends, and I want to thank you so much for your support. Well, this evening, wow, I had to have this guy on. I mean, his characters, like I was telling him earlier, sneak up on you. You recently saw him on The Shy playing Ronnie. Um, You might have seen him on Heroes. You might have seen him on Treme, opposite uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Blood Diamond, um, so many other shows. But he's also a director, a filmmaker, photographer, and we're going to talk about as much as we can this evening. I want to welcome Antari Guma and Bajo Waini for coming on the show tonight. Thank you, Joyce, so much for having me and for for being a fan of the show and for reaching out. I feel really grateful that we were able to connect and, and be able to meet like this virtually. Yeah, this is the best thing about the COVID is that we can still communicate through this technology and we're not cut off from people because that is one of the things that happens with the COVID. People kind of get isolated and um, it's important to reach out and still try to have some happy moments, you know? Yeah, it's great. And I'm grateful that we were able to share this conversation with your listeners too. It's really wonderful. So now you were Ronnie on the shy. You had, wow, so many stories on there. Um, I, I understand that you didn't actually know, your whole timeline at a certain point. You were just kind of playing scene by scene by scene. Is that true? Well, yes, they didn't. Um, the scene was being written as we were going along with the first season. Uh, um, and even the second season, and they have an arc for the season, but sometimes they share the full arc with you, sometimes they don't. Uh, it was only until the third season that they shared like, the full arc. So at the the first part of the season of season three, I already knew what the character's fate was. Uh, and so that, in a way, influenced the way I played stuff. It was really interesting to know that this would be the last time I'd be doing things. I was so sad. I mean, I almost like I felt like I got shot when I was watching it. Like I knew something <laughs> was about to happen. I knew it was too good to be true. And then when he got shot, I was like, oh. Oh my God! Oh my God! You know. <laughs> yeah, that's Ronnie's, that was Ronnie's tragedy. I mean, one step forward, it was always two steps back. 
<laughs> yeah, he had just saved, you know, the young lady. I mean, he was like a hero. He was getting himself together. And then, bam, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it took a lot so, of people by surprise. And the hard part was trying to keep it secret. So uh, my wife's family was were big fans of the show. And we had to try to not let her mother know. <laughs> So it was a challenge, but yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm grateful that I, I got to go out with a bang, literally and 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 you know, figuratively. So did you um, prepare yourself? Um, you were a vet. You were alcoholic on the show. Did you do anything? You know, once you found out all these different storylines, to help you prepare for the character. I did. I reached out to some folks in Chicago. Uh, Curtis Toller, somebody who was a real um, person I leaned on for the role, particularly in the first season. He's someone who had turned his life around. And so I saw him, I saw parts of Ronnie and him. Uh, uh, I'm sure he wouldn't say that's necessarily a fair assessment, but he's somebody who really <laughs> literally turned his life around um, and was, a, was an advisor for the show. And so there's often times I'd ask him, you know, does this scene ring, ring true to you? Would you say it differently? And sometimes he'd give different takes on how he would have said it. And sometimes those interpretations would work their way into the script. Now, I heard something. You, you watched a documentary called The Interrupters. Um, yes. Yes. Can you talk about I that a little pretty, bit? Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you for doing all this research. That's great. Um, <laughs> they, they, Curtis Toller was part of that group and it's part of Cure Violence Global, which is an, an initiative to reduce violence in all sectors of society. Uh, and these are folks who literally put their lives on the line. They can literally just go stand on a street corner, which has been known to be a troubled corner, um, and their presence helps reduce crime. Uh, and so they've been going out when there's incidents that come up in the community. They try to be the first responders to help well whatever violence or tension might be coming up. So uh, they are folks who are turning lives around like Ronnie's, or maybe the kid who shot Ronnie. Somebody might have turned his life around. Um, so uh, when I watched that film, it gave me an insight into the world. Uh and I've actually since been working with the Cure Violence Global uh, Initiative to help further their goal. You know? you know, that's something that reminds me of, like, the Black Panthers. It reminds me there was a group that uh, guys used to wear berets, and they would be on the trains and things like that trying to protect exactly. people and, and break up fights. I can't remember the name of the group right now, but you know what I'm talking about, Yeah. No, that's exactly that's exactly right. They're doing the same thing. Um, they don't necessarily have the uniform like that, but they are. They're folks. They're often times they're folks who are from that community. They they know the people in there, and they have turned their lives around. And they're trying to make sure that others don't fall into the steps missteps that they might have taken. Uh, so you know, it's it's really grassroots taking care of themselves, right. and it's, it's really remarkable what they've done. 
that's what people need, though, because that's how people fall between the cracks is these little incidents like Ronnie's life where, you know, two steps, you know, back, one step forward, and if there's nobody there with a hand, like an angel, if you will, then people will just completely fall down the mountainside, so to speak, you know? Yeah, it's true. Sometimes those support systems come in, in, you know, in all shapes and sizes, and it could just literally be someone you, you see on the corner where you know there's trouble and you feel safe to walk along there now when you see that person there. Um, or, you know, in the case of Ronnie, if he had had, you know, someone like Rafiq, who was played by Common, if there's more characters like that uh, in his life, he might, you know, how his trajectory could have been different. Yes, definitely. Um, if that's only that one moment in time that could completely change somebody's life. You know, just like you said earlier, we were talking about an incident that happened to you, and it was just by happenstance, um, and, and, and it started a whole series of events. But what's coming up next is I heard you're doing Room 104 uh, for, for HBO. Uh, what's what's going on in Room 104? Because that's coming to an end, yeah? Yes, that's the, the Duplass brothers. They have a series uh, called Room 104. And it's been on the air for uh, four seasons, and all of the episodes take place in one hotel room uh, called Hotel Room 104. Um, each episode is wildly different. Um, it's you know it's, it's an anthology series, uh, and unfortunately the series is coming to uh, a close. But fortunately, uh, I am the starring role in the series finale. Uh, of Room 104, which will air this Friday on HBO. So that's going to be really interesting because definitely you'll be re- remembered. I mean, you're, you're coming at the end of four seasons. You will definitely not be forgotten, <laughs> your character. <laughs> yes. Well, sometimes it's good to have good endings. Like on the shy, I felt like I couldn't have asked for a better ending. It's, it's a very memorable ending, and I feel grateful that uh, – I was my my episode was selected to be the the series finale. Um, I'm 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 glad it was too. Now you this acting bug. Your parents were like serious academics, you know. I understand your mom taught psychology. Your dad had a law degree from Harvard. Uh, what did they say when you said, "Mom and Dad, I'm going to be an actor"? <laughs> Well, thank you again for for doing all this research. It's great that you, when you get interviewed and you know people are have done all the work and ask all these great questions. So thank you for that. Yeah, my my parents were both academics, and um, I think they were definitely taken by surprise because they didn't realize that there was a, a even an academic path for the arts, like that you could get a master's degree in acting. That was just mm-hmm. a shock to them. <laughs> so, <laughs> I remember my dad was just baffled, and he came to NYU and said, I want to see what you guys actually do. And he sat in one of my classes, uh, and, you know, we were sitting on the floor, like in a circle, making funny sounds, and he's just like, what the <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh, he probably was uh, yeah. like, this is what I'm paying for? <laughs> that was the last time he paid for it. I had to start taking out student loans after that. After that business. Oh my God. 
Well, just to let people know, I understand you also did Moscow Art Theater and the Royal National Theater. Um, so you are a bit of an academia person as well. Um, so so I, I don't want people to think that, you know, you just woke up one day and then you became this actor. You, you've been working at this for a while. <laughs> yes, yes, I have. And my parents are actually really supportive, even though they're shocked at first uh, um, my dad came to see me perform, like flew from Uganda to see me perform at the at the uh, Kennedy Center when I was doing a lead role there. And my mom came to see me perform a lead role at Steppenwolf Theater. And they've been big big supporters since. Yeah. That's really good because a lot of people's families are not supportive when they say they're going to go into the arts because usually the arts means no money. You're going to be on a corner. You know, you're going to be begging, you know, you won't be able to support yourself or your family. Um, but yeah. I think that idea has might have changed now because there are people doing it and supporting themselves. But it is a hard business, you know. You get a lot of no's. Yeah, it is. It's really hard. And my parents have seen the ups and downs, and uh, I'm grateful that they were, you know, they've been through thick and thin and, and by my side. My dad passed away. Um, but I feel like he's still a guiding force. So I'm grateful for their love and support. Now, you're a dad yourself, right? You have a daughter, yes? Yes, funny, connecting back to the shy, my daughter was born the day before I got the offer for the shy. I was literally in the hospital and got a phone call saying, you just got offered the role of Ronnie on the shy while my wow. barely not even 24-hour-old daughter was sitting by my side. Wow, that must like amazing. Two blessings at the same time. It's like, you know, everything is aligned in the universe when things like that happen. You know. Yeah, it was one. Of, yeah, exactly like that. It just, you know, they say children come bearing blessings, but you know, I I'm still digesting how my world transformed so radically within that 24-hour period. So now with, you know, George Floyd and a lot of this um, unrest going on around the globe and, and not just in America, you know, as a as a black father, as an African father, what's something you're going to tell your daughter when she gets older about the universe, about the world and how to handle it? Uh, my daughter is named Imanzi Echo Mwine. And Imanzi means... It's a Nyankare word from where I am from in Uganda, and it means one who is fearless, mm. brave. Okay. So we, we are striving to teach her to be fearless, uh, um, and that's really been, you know, protecting her at the same time, um, encouraging her to take risks, but, you know, She's only three years old, so those type of risks are different from the kind of risks you're talking about when you mention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the risks right now are the, the bookshelf doesn't fall on her and she doesn't break a cup or something like that, you know. Exactly. Um, but so, um, yes. Go ahead, sorry. No, I just feel like these are uh, – I feel blessed to be a parent, but at the same time, you know, um, cautiously looking forward to like 
cautiously looking ahead in terms of like trying to navigate these these troubled waters that we're troubled times we're living in. It is. It is. I have a daughter, and I feel same way. I mean, she's older and she's on her own, but she's still my baby, you know. And mm-hmm. I still worry about her, and I just hope, you know, the things that I've taught her throughout her life, she'll use those, you know, to be fearless, if you will, um, in society. Yeah. Well, you're um, way ahead of me. Congratulations on having a, a kid out of the out of the nest. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So now you were in the Sundance uh, Film Festival in a movie called uh, Farewell Amour. It's uh, been picked up by IFC. Talk to the audience about your character. He's a cab driver, but he also has a backstory. Talk to them about that. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, I was really. I feel really grateful to have been a part of this beautiful film by Ekwam Sangi, a Tanzanian uh, writer-director. Um, and this was her first feature and my first lead in the film. Um, and we're just grateful that it had its premiere at Sundance. Uh, and it's basically a sort of a classic love story. A man who uh, lives in New York his family is in his family is in Angola. They've been separated for about 17 years, um, mm-hmm. and he's trying to bring them to New York. But in those 17 years, they've transformed. Their lives have changed. They're not really the same person they were when they first met, or when they were together before. He's fallen in love with someone else. Uh, and he's trying to he end that relationship when they arrive, when his wife and child arrive. And the film is told through three points of view. The first section is his point of view. The second section is the uh, wife's point of view. And the third is the daughter's point of view. Uh, I might have mixed up the order, but you get to see the same same story, but from three different points of view. And it's just a beautiful sort of window into these, this sort of love story that's crosses borders. This is crazy because, you know, as Americans, we don't understand um, this, this the immigrant story sometimes and what people do to come here to America, but what they have to leave behind, you know? Um, right. And I've had, I've had friends who haven't seen their families, um, you know, from Mali, from Nigeria, different places, five years, 10 years, 15 years, they haven't seen their families. They've talked to them maybe on the phone, but they haven't seen them face-to-face, you know. Um, and that feeling when they maybe are able to, but then also that feeling when maybe they get bad news from overseas that somebody has passed, you know. It, yeah. That's even been more striking even now because for even the people who had means to maybe travel, now with all the restrictions, uh people are cut off in ways that they, you know, more so than they were before. Um, uh, you know, there's been I, I, my first Zoom funeral I attended. Uh, and wow. Been, oh, my gosh. Oh. You know, in Uganda, from Uganda. It's just been wild to see okay. that people are are still... Um, sorry, there's a fire truck. No, it's okay. Lots of, lots of excitement. <laughs> But just it's, just it's just incredible to see how 
you know, uh, this people being separated in this time right now is even more striking, you know. Yeah. But even then, the need to connect, and we're finding new ways to connect. Like, you know, I was amazed that, you know, being attending this Zoom funeral, and just amazed that you can send me a message on an IM on Instagram, and, and now we're talking with all of your listeners. So, uh, that's the thing about the human condition is we always hopefully find ways to overcome obstacles and still connect. We're trying to adapt, you know, right now because we don't know how long this quote unquote COVID is going to be here. Is it forever? When is the, uh, when is the vaccine going to come? And, you know, how will people treat, like, how are you somebody, like say you're single and you want to have a relationship. How do you start a relationship? Mm -hmm. And it's COVID. I mean, yeah. you say, did yeah. you get tested today? Can I take your temperature? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. All these questions that we're all Exactly. Yeah. And how has it affected you with your work? Well, for me, the podcast, that's the beauty of it. I've been trying to have things that are happy and not necessarily all about COVID because I think you get inundated with the news. So I've been trying to have shows where people can kind of escape, you know, like, for, yeah. for example, you, bringing you on, mm-hmm. they can escape for a moment and learn about your life and, and the different characters you've played and not have to stress about, did I get enough sanitary wipes, um, yeah. uh, disinfectant things and spray, and um, do I have enough masks, you know, all these things. Um, and then we have to think about class. People don't have yeah. money. Yeah. So do they buy a mask or do they get disinfectant wipes? Or food. Or food. Yeah. 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 I'm just driving around in L.A. and I've just seen more people on the streets than ever before. It's just, you know, we're and we're coming up to winter and it's really frightening to think that, you know, the homeless crisis is being exacerbated by the COVID pandemic and, you know, Well, let me talk to you about um, driving around. You were driving around uh, in Uganda, and your your car broke down in front of a photographer's place. Talk to the audience about this gentleman, Kabati Aloysius Palango. I hope I said his name correct. Um, Kabati Palango. Okay. Okay, you got it right. (laughs) One of those things where, you know, fate brings you together with someone that you will be with the rest of your life kind of thing. Uh, We were driving back from uh, Waya Lodge, Safari Lodge. It was my sister's honeymoon. She went with her her husband and, uh, and we were driving back with my father and her. And we, this car broke down, overheated, I guess. And to pass the time, I just started um, walking around taking pictures. And I saw this sign in front of this shop. And there's like literally a, a, a town, like in the old westerns, where you just see storefronts on the street and then there's nothing for miles beyond it. And it was like yeah. that. It was a little dusty town that you'd pass through and not really notice. 
and I saw a little sign that said uh, photo studio, and I went in there and was blown away by the kind of, with the like thousands and thousands of images that this guy had shot in the studio, and I promised that I was going to share his images as far and wide as I could, and I ended up incorporating them into a play that I wrote um, in a multimedia piece. And I, someone I kept in touch with over the years. Um, this was back in 2000. So he unfortunately passed away before I finished my keeping my promise to him, but I'm now carrying on keeping my promise to share his work far and wide. Uh, and I've been going back and finding the photo subjects that he had photographed and photographing them now some 20 or 30 years later. And I was really fortunate to get um, Steven Soderbergh uh, come on board as executive producer. Um, mm-hmm. So now I feel like, yeah, we got some good momentum and uh, I'm looking forward to sharing this with you and your listeners uh, when this is completed. It was, I saw the video, it was like a little clip in how you were explaining about his life and the story and you were able to connect with some of the people who were still alive from um, yeah. his, his initial photos. Um, that was really uh-huh. beautiful. Um, and, and that he had over 4,000 negatives, he said, uh, I yeah. was reading. And that's amazing that, and, and that they were there. Um, but it looks like it's going to be a beautiful documentary. I, I can't wait till you finish it. I'm really excited about that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was, just, it was just one of those things where just being in the right, you know, where you th- it was a happy accident. Yeah. <laughs> you, never think, you never think a car breaking down would be a good fortune, lead to good fortune, but in this case it did. Yeah. Well, that happens in life. Um, let me tell you, I have a question from, from one of the listeners. Um, they wanted me to ask you, um, you know how actors have contracts or stars have contracts, and they said, do you have a special writer on your contracts? Like you don't like yellow M&Ms or you have to have balloons. or Do you have anything like that? <laughs> no, no, I haven't, I haven't blown up to that level where I have uh, special writers <laughs> like that in my contract. <laughs> no, no, green, no blue M&Ms or anything like that, no. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, let me ask you just some other questions. What has been your favorite place to visit? Um, I, you probably traveled before the COVID. What was a, a, a place that you really liked? Um, in the world or in the U.S.? or In the world. In the world. Yeah, we can go to the world. Well, I have to disclose or disclaim that I am Uganda's goodwill cultural tourism ambassador. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have to say I am biased as the Uganda <laughs> Goodwill Cultural Tourism Ambassador. Uh, but I'm not just the only one because the New York Times actually listed Uganda as one of, uh, I think, 20 places to visit. This is before COVID. Okay. Um, 20 or 70 places or something to visit in 2020. And then mm-hmm. CNN also ranked it as one of the most beautiful places in the world. So... I'm saying I'm biased, but I'm not the only one who said it. Uganda is the place to be. <laughs> okay. So if you have 24 <laughs> hours 
what would you do in Uganda? If you only had 24 hours, where would you tell somebody to go? Like they were in a layover or something. Oh, wow. Well, the source of the River Nile is in Uganda. Uh, the okay. Great Apes, there's only a few places in the world, I think four or five places in the world where you can see gorillas in their natural habitat. Uh, mm-hmm. Uganda is one of the only few places remaining. Um, you can see the big seven, the big seven, um, the lion, the elephant, the, you know, the rhino, all these major games in the national parks. So I'd say see the national parks, go to the, see the beautiful, um, see the beautiful source of the River Nile, and catch the city life in Kampala. And that can keep you busy okay. in 24 hours. And I think you can do all of that in 24 hours. <laughs> all right. Well, we have to all go to Uganda once COVID is over, and we don't have to worry so much about, you know, masks and disinfectant wipes and things like that. <laughs> Let me know when you want well, to go. I will, I, will, I will make sure that you, the red carpet is laid out for you, and I'll be oh, there with you. Thank so. you so much. Thank you. Uh, Asante. I should say Asante. Thank yeah. you for, for, for <laughs> doing that. Um, what you, would you say? Yes, of course. Santi Simon. Well, um, well, oh, yep. See, we're speaking Swahili, okay? <laughs> <laughs> just for people who are like, what did she say? I don't know what she just said. Um, well, thank you again for coming on this evening. It's been a wonderful interview. I hope you enjoyed yourself, and I wish you so much success with all these projects. Thank you so much for watching The Shy and for uh, keeping tabs on my other stuff, and uh, I maybe we will talk again about the future projects that are coming up. I would love to have you back. Definitely, when you finish the film, you know about the photographer, that'd be great. Um, and any other things that might come up, tell your agent to stay in contact. <laughs> thank you again for reaching out, and thank you, listeners, uh, uh, and have a wonderful rest of the evening. You too. Okay, be safe and healthy, and um, again, have a nice evening. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I hope you guys hear the interview. Um, if you missed the beginning, this, this interview will be archived. Um, I just got off the phone speaking with Antare Guma Mbaho Waini, uh, actor. Ronnie, you might have seen him on The Shy. Um, he's going to be on the Room 104 on HBO Max this Friday. Um, also, you might see him on IFC and Farewell Amour coming up later in the year. So please check him out. And you guys be safe, and I'll see you this Saturday. I'm going to be speaking with a venture capitalist, Arlen Hamilton, about her book. So that's this coming Saturday. So tune in and um, stay safe and healthy. To some, a baby's babbling doesn't mean much, but it does, especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.